Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Peter chapter 4, the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. We continue our study through the New Testament. And for the past several weeks, we've been learning about submission. Uh, and we ended last week's study on Jesus, who's at the right hand of God, and how the angels and authorities and powers are subject to Him. And with this understanding, we begin our study here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Brother Peter writes, he says, Therefore, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, now the earthly ministry of our Lord was not without opposition. It was not without suffering. And ultimately, he died on the cross and he rose again and he's at the right hand of God. And since we know this, what is the saint to do? What are you and me? What are we to do? And Brother Peter, he says, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, Brother Peter says, arm yourself. I love this so much. Harpizo in the Greek, harpizo. Arm yourself. It's Yes, it's to arm, but it's to equip, to be busy with the tools and weapons of straight up warfare. Warfare. And understand that this arming and equipping, it is done by oneself. Every single person has a choice to make for himself or herself. Because to arm, it's a choice. You see? But the weapons of our warfare and how we fight, the conduct of fight, it is not carnal. Remember, we understand the rules of engagement, how the old covenant had one set of rules of engagement. The new covenant has another set of rules of engagement, completely different. Where Peter, remember when Peter busted out his sword and Jesus says, no, put your sword away. The commander of the armies of the Lord says, put your sword away, Peter. A new way of fighting, a new way of warfare. And so we arm ourselves also in verse 1 with the same mind. The same mind. This is the mind where in Hebrews chapter 12, remember our study in the book of Hebrews? And in Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 12 says that for the joy that was set, uh, set before him, speaking of Jesus our Lord, he endured the cross despising the shame. And then don't forget our, our study in Hebrews chapter 11 where we read about the beautiful souls. Our beautiful family in Hebrews 11, the halls of faith where by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, remember? By faith Abraham, by faith Moses, by faith Barak, by faith the woman, the women, remember? By faith Rahab. And what's so beautiful when you read the listen to our study and read the books of uh, or the book of Judges and you see how you know the halls of faith includes Barak but then you see beautiful Deborah remember the jumper cables of Deborah This is our family of faith heirs of Abraham and they themselves they also endured in their moment in their time they also endured because of a future joy. And Jesus in Hebrews 12, he endured the cross, despising the shame, because of the joy that was set before him. Now understand that these examples we have in both testaments, they weren't just armed, they were on offense and they fought valiantly, and so can we. So can you, so can me, so can we. And with this same mind, 
For in verse 1, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And this is very important because we live in a time today where you hear people say, you know, we're all sinners saved by grace. And it is true. But too often it becomes an excuse for carnal nature and carnal behavior. It becomes an excuse for low expectations. You see? And Peter doesn't have low expectations on the saint. I mean, say for example, you and me were at the beginning of a school year. We're enrolled as students at the beginning of a school year. And the teacher says, oh, we're all F students. We're all F students. You see, the bar would be set awfully low. And are, are we not to strive for an A? Are we not to cease from the practices that merit an F? It is true that we are sinners saved by grace. But never use that as an excuse. Never use it as a cop-out. Or never use it as an excuse to have a low bar or low expectations. Because you and me, we move on to perfection. Remember Paul? Paul says, I don't count myself as having attained. But I press forward, he says. I press forward. Let us do the same, you and me. Let us press forward. And we see that, you know, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. In verse 2, that he no longer should live in the rest of, that he he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men. Remember, we're in these earth suits, you and me. We're in these earth suits for the time being. We're in these earth suits. And that we should no longer live the rest of our times in these earth suits for the lust of men. But in verse 2, and I love it because Brother Peter, he presents an alternative to walking according to the flesh and according to the carnal nature. And what is that? He says, but for the will of God. How is it possible to know the will of God? I'll give you the answer. Time and intimacy. Time and intimacy. When you read the Gospels in chronological order, you see something where, you know, Jesus, he calls the disciples and he calls them servants. But in the course of time, you see something else where Jesus says to them, I no no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Because friends don't know what the master is doing. And, you know, we give this example all the time. But say you and me, we are servants in our master's home. And, you know, it's say it's day one on the job. It's day one on the job and you don't know how he likes, you know, certain things. I don't know how he likes his, you know, scrambled eggs to be seasoned. And so you take the plate out. You know, I'm in the kitchen. I make the scrambled eggs, some nice, you know, nice, uh, you know, uh, 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 some scrambled eggs, some pancakes, you know. And, you know, and you, you, you come to the kitchen, you grab the plate and you put it at the table at our, that where the master is seated, seating. And, and, you know, you see him pick up the salt and the pepper. And he starts to sprinkle it on the, on the scrambled eggs, you know, salt here. And you see, you know, he puts just a little dab of syrup. He, you, you start to observe his mannerisms. But in the course of time, something's going to happen to where the salt and pepper, they don't need to be there anymore. The syrup doesn't need to be there anymore. Why? Because we're going to know, oh, he likes the salt like this. He likes the pepper like this. He likes the, 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 the syrup like this. And we're going to know. And that's what's so powerful when Jesus says, listen, I don't call you guys servants anymore. I call you friends because the friend doesn't know what the master is doing. 
It is entirely possible to know the will of God for your life. But that takes time and it takes intimacy. It takes you to be one with Christ. Remember, cheek to cheek? If you've been walking with us for a while, you remember now if you're living. What is he talking about, cheek to cheek? Go back and listen to our study through 1 Corinthians and then get yourself caught up all the way through, through 1 Peter and you'll understand more. And then we see in verse 3 how Brother Peter, he says, for we, and it's so important to note because, you know, Paul, he includes himself. He's about to refer to the former ways of the old nature, and he includes himself. He says in verse 3, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. See, the ways of the old nature. It's something that we all have. It's something we all have. Born into Adam. Born into Adam. But that was then and this is now. Because today we are born again into Christ. And Peter says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. See, the church today is in big trouble. The church today is in big trouble because many believers today do walk in those things. In the lewdness and the lusts and the drunkenness and revelries and the drinking parties and abominable idolatries. A lot of believers do while also saying, oh, we're all sinners saved by grace. But when Peter refers to such behaviors including himself, it's the past tense. Because he says our past lifetime. You see, when we walked, not while we're walking, no, not present tense, past tense, when we walked, past tense, past lifetime. You see, it's the way of the old man, the old woman, the one that we reckon to be dead. But even that is a choice, to reckon the old nature dead or not. It's a choice. And Peter, we've had enough of that. Our past lifetime. And in regard to these, in verse 4, to these, in regard to these, they, now it's very important to make these distinctions. Because Peter refers to past lifetime and walking in the flesh and the will of the Gentiles as the past tense. And in regard to these, they, in verse 4, they think it's strange that you, remember, we make these distinctions, they and you. They and you. Because remember, at that time, in the perilous times of 64 AD, the cost of being a Christian was very heavy. I mean, who was a Christian and who was not a Christian? That, that's, it was easier to discern because of the times, the perilous times of that generation. And they think it's strange that you do not run together with them. That you, not, you, you do not run with them, but how that translates better in the Greek is that you do not run together with them. In the same flood of dissipation, where in the Greek translates as the same excess of unsavedness or the excess of being unsaved. Remember, we make the distinction between they and you. They and you. Because they... 
I mean, if you have columns, you know, the, the they column, that's where you see the lewdness, the lust, the drunkenness, the reveries, the drinking parties, the abominable idolatries, the excess of unsavedness or the excess of being unsaved. And then the next column, you. You see? And there's a big problem with the doctrines of mere men. A big problem. Because believers become partakers in these excesses, the excess of being unsaved. You say, wait a second, but they believe, they're, they're Christians, they believe in Jesus. But don't forget, even the demons believe. Except the demons, they tremble. Remember our study in the book of James? Don't forget that belief and faith, it's a package deal. Package deal. Now, if you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study in the book of James. You'll understand more. Go back and listen to our study in the, the book of Hebrews and you'll understand more. And so now we make these distinctions. Us and they. Us and they. We make these distinctions. These are things that they, they don't understand. And yet, they think it strange that you do not run with them, that you do not run together with them. And it was true in 64 AD during the perilous times of Peter's day, the early church, our early brothers, our early sisters, and it's true today for our perilous times because you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus Christ, and they, they, they think it's strange that you don't want to get drunk with them. They think it's strange that you don't want to go gambling with them. They think it's strange that you don't want to, you know, go to the casino with them. You don't want to get get high with them. You don't want to go see the strippers with them. They think it's strange. They think it's strange that you don't want to partake in their excesses of being unsaved. What was true then for the early church is also true for us. They think it's strange. And so, Brother Peter, in speaking to the church, or writing to the church, that yes, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation. But at the same time, notice, speaking evil of you. Speaking evil of you, which is blasphemeo in the Greek, which is to vilify, blaspheme, defame, and revile. Because you're not, you're not running together with them. On top of thinking you're strange, now they vilify you. Now they hate you. Oh, you don't want to get drunk with us anymore. Oh, you don't want to get baked with us anymore. Oh, you don't want to go to the casino with us anymore. Oh, you don't want to see the strippers with us anymore. And they think it's strange. But in the course of time, then they start to vilify. They start to hate you. They start to defame you. They start to blaspheme you. It happens today. You see, we make these distinctions. You know, they and you. They and you. And then the column of they is where we see the lewdness, the lust, the drunkenness, the reveries, the drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. That's what we see excesses of being unsaved and we see that but you're in a different column why because you're set apart 
you are born again. Not born into Adam, you are born again into Christ. You were in that column, born into Adam, but then you were born again, and now you moved columns. You see? And in verse 5, they, they will give an account to him who is, who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And this word is kai, the living kai, the dead. And remember, there is inclusivity with the word kai. This isn't judgment for the living and the dead as separate. It's judgment for the living while dead. You see? Remember Jesus when they said to Jesus, Oh, you know, like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll follow you, but let us first go bury our family. And Jesus says, listen, let the dead bury the dead. Let the dead bury the dead. Now, picture hearing that. It's like, well, you know, like they're alive and he's referring to them as dead. And so we understand living kai dead, living while dead. You see? And there are theologies today, there are theories today and false theologies today and doctrines of mere men that say God predestines people to heaven and God predestines people to hell. That's Calvinism and Reformed theology, which is a lie. Lie. Now, if you're a Calvinist, if you're Reformed, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. Go, go, go and listen to our studies in uh, uh, thewayunderground.com. Go and listen to our studies. Click on Reformed and then you'll see some studies that we have there. Romans 8, 9, 10, 11, you'll understand more. Very important for these last days that we live in. And so we understand here that the Bible says that these people are living while dead, but it begs a question. Are we just, do we just leave them and, and figure that there's no hope for them? I mean, if they're living while dead, okay, do we just, is, is there no hope? And we see verse 6. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. You see, now it's very important to understand. Remember the two thieves on their crosses? There were three crosses, Jesus in the middle. On one side is one thief, on the other side is the other thief. And when you read the gospel in chronological order, both thieves were mocking Jesus. And then one started to change. And one says to the other, he says, listen, we're here because of our crimes. But he, he is innocent. And then he looks to Jesus and says, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus tells him, says, today, most assuredly, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. Both thieves were judged according to men in the flesh. Except one lived according to God in the spirit. When he encountered Jesus at the day of his visitation. Same happened with Paul in prison. Paul is in prison and he's with his fellow prisoners prisoners, and they became partakers of the goodness of God at their day of visitation. You see? And the darkness of culture that we have today, that we see today, also understand that it's where the fish are. Now, it's true that, you know, of the fish world, there are minnows, but there are also great white sharks. You see? And this is where training and equipping and wisdom and the power of the Spirit, these are requirements. You see? 
You say, wait a second, but Paul or, or Peter just says we're not supposed to run with them. We just read, we're not, you know, that, that, that in, in verse 4, they think it's strange that you do not run with them. And the Bible says we're not supposed to run with them. But also understand the Bible in the Greek, we're not supposed to run together with them. And that togetherness, remember, in the excesses of being unsaved. We're not to be partakers of the lewdness, lust, drunkenness, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. The excesses of being unsaved. But also understand that, you know, whether they do that or not, that's a choice that they have to make on their day of visitation. Just like Paul in prison. Their day of visitation. And Paul, who was an ambassador in change, just like the thief on the cross on his day of visitation. And understand that when people have their day of visitation, these are things that we can influence, that they can glorify God on their day of visitation. And we can influence how? By good works. This is something that we studied in chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, remember? Just a couple weeks ago. Today, non-believers, they have a solid case against the church. A solid case against the church. And I hate to say that. It hurts to say that. But when you see non-believers and they say, I hate Christians because of pastors who molest kids. That's a solid case. They have a solid case against the church. Or you hear people say, you know, I hate Christianity because of the sex abuse I see in Hillsong. That's a solid case. They have a solid case. I don't like Christianity because they tell me I'm predestined for hell. That's a solid case. But also understand what is happening. The church is no longer the salt of the earth. It has lost its flavor. But not so with the remnant. The remnant has not lost its flavor. You see? And so we see in, in, in verse 6, For this reason the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. How is it that they can live according to God in spirit? Who's going to tell them? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings. Remember our study in Romans? The good news. And so we see in verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. And I love this so much because the early church, our early brothers, our early sisters, they were in a state of living in a constant state of readiness. We cannot overlook the perilous times of 64 AD where the cost of being a Christian was very high, even deadly. And since the end of all things is at hand, Brother Peter, he says, therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. You see? This also speaks of a, a sobriety of mind, but then also a sobriety in terms of not being given to wine, strong drink. Be serious and watchful in your prayers, Brother Peter writes, and he says in verse 8, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. You see? Be hospitable without grumbling. Now, we stress formula for a reason. Because you take the sex, the alcohol, and the extortion that was in Corinth. How is a saint not supposed to grumble? Three years uncorrected. 
three years arrested development. Three years the defunct pastors never taught. Never said anything about the sex and the alcohol and the extortion. The saint isn't supposed to grumble. The saint isn't supposed to be grieved at the carnality in the church. But then something else happens where when you remove the leaven, now hospitality becomes something very beautiful. And not just beautiful, very safe. And when formula is not understood, you know, the formula for a church, the formula for the pastor, the formula for each individual Christian, the formula for a home, the formula for marriage, when formula is not understood, what happens is that Christians, they attempt to apply biblical truths without understanding formula. You see? It's a beautiful thing to ap apply biblical truths to our lives, but we cannot forget that it is also written. You see? Because what happens is that Christians become hospitable to leaven or even the wolf. And what happens is that, you know, not too long ago, I had a conversation with an adult male, big guy. And he broke down. We were having our conversation and he broke down. He started to weep. And it took me by surprise. And he started to explain to me, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. And he started to explain to me why. And the reason why is because he was molested as a child. By somebody that was brought into the home by his parents. Oh, we got to be hospitable and show, you know, Christian love. We got to show Christian love. And the parents didn't understand the formula. And because they didn't understand the formula, they let the wolf in. And the wolf attacked the child. Now he's an adult male. He wants nothing to do with Jesus. You see? And it breaks my heart. It's so powerful when we see not just sound doctrine, but sound doctrine being applied, understood, applied. And you see sound doctrine and you start to see formula in a fellowship. Always, always, always accounting for babies because you have new believers who don't have, you know, understanding about the depths of the word of God. They just know that they love Jesus. And that's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. And so in loving, in loving the Lord and loving Jesus and being in a fellowship where it is safe for them to exercise their faith, where they can be hospitable to another brother, they can be hospitable to another sister and know that that brother isn't going to molest their kids. They can know that that sister isn't going to you know, do crack with the other daughters. They know safely that they can be hospitable within the body of Christ, the body caring for the body. You see? It's beautiful. Sound doctrine, formula. And always accounting for the babies. And, you know, when we account for the babies, you know, they're milk drinkers. They drink milk, but they don't drink milk forever. And hospitality becomes something so beautiful. And in verse 8, where we see in verse 8 to have fervent love, this isn't something that can be mandated. You can't mandate anybody to love another person. You can't mandate that. But love is the greatest gift. Love. 
and love does cover a multitude of sins. In John, in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, Brother John, he says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. You see, and this is a chasm. This is a chasm that the last day saint must pass through, just like Peter did. Because Peter, remember, when, when, when Jesus was arrested and in fear, Peter, what did he do? He busted out his sword. He busted out his sword and he was ready to kill. He was on the attack. And Jesus told him, no. Put your sword away, Peter. You see? And we're about 30 years after and, you know, and Peter is writing in, in First Peter and, you know, time has passed, but also the chasm. He's also passed that chasm in understanding. And now Peter is teaching the saints about armament and weapons and warfare, but of a different kind, not of the flesh, not of the rules of engagement of the old covenant, but of the rules of engagement according to the spirit, according to the new covenant. You see? Warfare, straight up warfare. And we see in verse 10, as each one has received a gift. Now, we have pastors today who say that gifts of the Spirit were for 2,000 years ago. Oh, that was for another dispensation. It's not for today. That was for the book of Acts. That was for the early church. You see? And saints today are putting up with it. They're putting up with the charlatan. When you hear a pastor say such a thing, if you're sitting in a church and you hear a pastor say that the gifts of the Spirit were for 2,000 years ago, listen, leave. Leave. Remember our study in Hebrews? Every priest has sacrifice and gifts. Every priest. You read the Old Testament, every priest has sacrifice and gifts. And, you know, you, you, you read the book of Hebrews and the high priest in the order of Melchizedek also has sacrifice and gifts. But when a pastor says that he has no gifts, that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today, which Jesus do they speak of? You see? Which Christ do they speak of? Remember, Jesus warned that in the last days there will be many Christs. What Christ do they speak of when they say there are no gifts for today? See, but when the formula is right in a fellowship, when the formula is right in the pastor, when the formula is right in the elders, the overseers, when the formula is right in the pews, in the saints, in homes, in marriages, in families, and when the formula is right, always accounting for babies, where you see koinonia, ecclesia. Love feast. And we see verse 10 here. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. I love this so much. Minister it to one another. You know what that is? The body caring for the body. During the perilous times of 64 AD, the body caring for the body. I'm in verse 9, be hospitable to one another. The body caring for the body. You see? Verse 10, each one has received a gift. 
minister it to one another. The body caring for the body. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And this is so beautiful because you know you have you know in 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 First Corinthians chapter twelve. Another vessel speaks of this too. This is vessel Paul, inspired of the same spirit that is inspiring Peter. Now you say, wait a second. I say, I thought you said Corinthians, the church in Corinth was a messed up church. Well, the separation that happened in chapter five, First Corinthians chapter five. So chapter six and beyond, we're talking remnant. You see, so in First Corinthians chapter twelve, Paul. He speaks in verse 27, or he writes in verse 27, he says, Now you are the body of Christ, and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and after that, miracles. You see? And you have pastors today, pastors today, who say, Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. The gifts of the Spirit, the power, the moving of the Spirit, that was for the book of Acts, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. And yet the Bible says... In verse 28, that God appointed these in the church. These are appointed by God in the church. Why don't we see it today? And you have these pastors, they say, well, you know, that, that we don't see it today because it was for another dispensation. No, the reason why we don't see it today, wrong formula. Wrong formula. You're not going to see the power and the gifts of the Spirit in somebody who says, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You're not going to see the power of the Holy Spirit in somebody who says, let's go grave soaking. Let's go lay on the grave so we can soak up the Spirit in the dead people. You're not going to see that. You're not going to see the power of the Spirit. You'll see the phony. You'll see the fake. And the Berean will know. You see? Wrong formula. And Paul continues. He says, And then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. You see? There are pastors today, they say, Oh, the gifts of the Spirit. That was for another dispensation. It's not for today. Understand, they preach another Jesus. They preach another Jesus. Because every priest has both uh, sacrifice and gifts. And the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, the same. Sacrifice and gifts. What Jesus do they speak of? When they say that, when they say the gifts of the Spirit was for 2,000 years ago, what, what Spirit do they speak of? What Jesus do they speak of? When the Bible says that God, in verse 28, that God has appointed these in the church. And so we see here in verse 29, are all apostles? Are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I will show you a more excellent way. And Paul in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he goes on to teach about the greatest gift, which is love. 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 
It's the same love that Brother John says casts out fear. It's the same love that Brother Peter says covers a multitude of sins. You see, there's something I find very interesting. Among the pastors who say the gifts of the Spirit were for 2,000 years ago. And something I find very interesting. Is that sometimes they're just flat out mean. Mean. Vitriol. Mean. But there's a reason. The absence of gifts. The absence of gifts does not exclude the greatest gift, which is love. They have no love. That's why they're mean. You see? And these are things that the Word of God reveals so that you and me, so that we can understand. Yes, it is beautiful to submit to a pastor. But the Bible tells us what a pastor is. You see? We have to be Bereans. Every single one of us, we have to be Bereans and study the scriptures. And so going back to 1 Peter chapter 4. And Brother Peter, speaking about these gifts or writing about these gifts, in, in, in verse 10, each one has received a gift. Remember, God, God has appointed these in the church. But it's not for self-aggrandizement it's for the body the body caring for the body you see minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God it's the body caring for the body if anyone speaks in verse 11 let him speak as the oracles of God if anyone ministers let him do it with the ability which God supplies that in all things all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Brother Peter continues and he says in verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you. This, translate in, in the, this translates in the Greek as smelting. Smelting. And this is a big deal. You go to like rock quarries or, you know, mines and, you know, you, you, you take something out of the mine. It looks like a rock. It's, you know, it's got some weight to it. It looks like a rock and, you know, it's like a, a, a like almost like a, a small boulder, like a, like a, a big rock, we'll say. And it looks like a rock. But what happens, you give it to, you know, the, the specialist, we'll say. And he'll grind it up. He'll, you know, pound on it and pound on it and pound it and grind it up into like a, like a, like a powder. And then what happens is that they heat it. It gets really hot. And what happens is that elements start to burn. Except metal. Metal. You see it with copper. You see it with tin. Well, it looked like a rock in the beginning, but then it got pounded into stone and then they heated it up so hot. And it burned. And now what's left is the copper, the tin. And it's poured out as liquid. And it cools and it takes on another form minus impurities. Minus impurities. It's how gold is refined. And that's what smelting is. And that's what Peter says. Don't consider it a strange thing. In verse 12, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice. In verse 13, but rejoice. 
to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. You see, this is a new way of thinking, a completely new way of thinking. But let me ask you a question. Are we not to expect newness? When we are born again into the newness of Christ, are we not to expect newness? When Jesus returns, a whole lot of people will be terrified. The remnant, glad with exceeding joy. And we see in verse 14, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, 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 but on your part, he is glorified. You see, understand that when you are reproached or persecuted, there are two parties. You and the persecutor. And these two parties, you know, they're seen and they're they're dealt with differently. Because they, they blaspheme Jesus. You glorify Jesus. You see, remember Stephen? The ones who were throwing rocks at him, stones at him. What they were doing was blaspheming Jesus. But Stephen, in him Christ was glorified. You see? And this is something that Peter himself experienced when he rejoiced, when he was beaten. And he rejoiced that he was worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. And Peter is teaching the saints something that he learned by experience. We see in verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer. You see? Don't forget, this is the perilous times of 64 AD. And Peter, he has never given a call to arms according to the flesh. Never. Because if saints start murdering, they're going to go to prison and they'll be in prison for murder. They cannot say, oh, I'm in prison. I'm being persecuted. I'm being persecuted. No, you're in prison because you committed murder. You see? And today we see pastors, they, they're claiming persecution because they're in prison, but they're rightfully in prison because they raped a child. They molested a child. And we also see pastors in prison because of real persecution where they suffer for their faith and good works. We have to make these distinctions. And I speak of pastors, but we see it with believers, pastors and non-pastors. We see it with in our faith. We see it. Someone says, oh, I'm being persecuted. I'm being persecuted. Why are you being persecuted? Well, they threw me in jail. Well, why are you in jail? Well, you know, I... I stole this, you know. But I'm being persecuted. I'm in jail. No, 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 no. You're rightfully in jail. See, because you're a thief. Very important to make these distinctions. And Peter says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Very important what we see here because there's a lot of busybodies today. Meddlers, manipulators. And they do suffer. And they call it persecution. Oh, I'm being persecuted. I'm being persecuted. They say, listen, that's the busybody who meddled and manipulated. Peter is telling the saints, don't let this happen to you. Don't suffer like this. Don't suffer as a murderer. Because, you know, you're, you you go to prison for murder, you're going to suffer. But you're not in prison for being a Christian. 
You're not in prison for your faith. You're in jail because you stole something, because you're a thief. You can't call that persecution. You're in jail because you're a thief. You see? But in verse 16, Brother Peter, he says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And in the Greek, this is judgment must begin and commence at the house of God. At the house of God. Now, let's put aside rapture timing for a moment. The rapture. Let's put that timing aside for a moment. Now, we know that God's judgment is coming. But it doesn't begin with what we presume to be evil and unfavorable and wicked. It doesn't begin there. It starts with us. It commences with us. It begins at the church. Now, let's add rapture timing to the mix. And the pre-tribulation rapture theory, it wants to exclude Christians from what is coming to the world and what is coming to the church. Not what is coming to the world. It's what is coming to the world and what is coming to the church. And what is that? It's judgment. You see? I meant to account for the 70th week of Daniel, they say, well, the church isn't going to be here. It's been raptured, they say. But to whom does judgment begin if the church is not here? You see? doesn't fit it doesn't align with the bible now if you're listening and you're like whoa 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 because i know a lot of christians believe in the pre-tribulation rapture go to our studies thewayunderground.com go and listen to our studies on the rapture and you'll see our studies through first thessalonians and second thessalonians and you'll understand more and very important because for the longest time people would say well it's it's not a salvation issue it's not a salvation issue but you know what The Lord has revealed it to be exactly that, a salvation issue. You know why? Because Christians today who are in the pre-tribulation rapture theory camp, they say, well, you know, if if there's some type of government, they implement the mark on the hand or forehead, I can take it. I can go ahead and take it. I can accept it on my body. I can accept it. I can put it on my hand. I can put it on my forehead. You know why? Because we're still here. That's what they say. And since the rapture is pre-tribulation, we know that the rapture hasn't happened yet, so we can go ahead and take the mark of the beast. That's what they say. That's what they think. That's what they believe. Because of the pre-tribulation rapture theory. It is happening. What was presumed to be not a salvation issue, just Five years ago, today the Lord has revealed it to be a salvation issue. You see? And we're also living in a time where just, just five short years ago, just five short years ago, nobody could imagine a time when government mandated an injection in the body. 
which had an impact on a person's ability to buy and sell just five short years ago. Nobody could fathom. Nobody could think like, wow, you know, that's such that's that's so far into the future. Five years ago, oh, that's so far into the future where government is going to mandate an injection in the body, which will have an impact on my ability to buy and sell. But we can no longer say that. Why? Because it's already happened. Government mandates. If you don't put this in your body, if you don't take this injection and put this in your body, you're not going to be able to work. And if you can't work, you're not going to have any money. And if you don't put this in your body, you're not going to be able to go to the grocery store. You're not going to be able to buy stuff. You're not going to be able to buy groceries. You're not going to be able to do this. And some countries were way worse than others. But we're officially living in a time where the government says, put this in your body or else you're going to have problems buying and selling. And let me tell you something. That was only phase one. That was only phase one. There will be more. And it's going to get worse. And you have Christians who believe. Christians who believe. I can go ahead and put and whatever on my body, whatever the government says to put on my body, on my hand, on my forehead. I can go ahead and do that because if I'm still here, that means the rapture hasn't happened. In addition to that, you have pastors who say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. And you'll still be saved. You see, perilous times that we live in today. I mean, we see 64 AD in the perilous times where the cost of being a Christian was very heavy in the era of Peter when he writes this letter. But that was for their time. And yet the word of God rings true all throughout time and today. You see, very important to understand. And we see here in verse 17, judgment begins. The, 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 the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begun, begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Whoa. What will be their end? What will be their end? This is a big deal because we're talking weeping, gnashing of teeth, lake of fire, eternal damnation, eternal separation from the Lord. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And yes, the, the, the war that we fight is according to the rules of engagement of the new covenant. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal and we do put on the full armor of God. But listen... Don't forget your fishing pole. Don't forget your fishing pole. Because God is not willing that any should suffer. God is not willing that any should perish. God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. But He doesn't make robots. You have a choice to make. And if you're listening, 
And you want to make that choice right here, right now. And you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ. You hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You commit your life to Christ, you come back, you listen, we grow together. Very important. We see in verse 18. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? You see? Therefore, in verse 19, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Remember, faith it's a package deal. Believe, faith, it's a package deal. If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our studies in Hebrews and uh, the book of James. You'll understand all about the package. Package deal. We're not saved by works. Understand, we're not saved by works. We are saved for good works. In closing, turn with me really quick to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest anyone should boast. Okay, so here we are at, you know, the end of verse 9. And this covers the 0%. Remember, we come to Christ at 0%. We come with nothing. No works. And He takes us dirty. He takes us because we believe. Now what? Now what? Well, He cleans us up. He cleans us up. And there's a purpose behind our lives. There is a purpose to our lives. And we get to verse 10. For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, understand, faith, it's a package deal. You and me, let us walk together to the beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.